Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hey, what's up, Celebration? I hope everyone is having a great day today. This weekend, I am in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and this Sunday, are you ready for this? I am teaching the membership class to our very first membership class of Celebration Fort Lauderdale. I want to thank all of you guys for your generous giving. The church in Fort Lauderdale is off and running. It's going great, and I'm actually down there today teaching our very first membership class at our Welcome to Church party. I'll be back next weekend. I look forward to seeing uh, you and preaching next weekend on Memorial Day weekend. But today, you are going to hear from one of our many great staff communicators. It's going to be a great day. You're going to hear a great message. I'll see you next week. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Celebration Church, you guys doing good? That was weak. You guys doing good? All right, all right, all right. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, the Next Gen pastor, um, actually. And, and I love that I get a chance to be the pastor of Next Gen because if I didn't, I would have aged out several years ago. So my job, by definition, allows me to stay young. It allows it to be relevant. It allows me to still wear jeans that are not quite skinny. This is as skinny as they're going to get. But I can still stay connected to the next generation just because by proxy, it's part of my job responsibility. So my kids don't have to mock me for trying to be the old guy that acts too young. You guys seen that guy before, right? That's not what I want to be. But it's a, it's a true honor to, to be here with you guys uh, tonight. I really am excited about, um, about the word that God has placed on my heart. But before I, before I dive into that, I just want to take a moment to, to honor our incredible lead pastors. Pastor Stovall had just mentioned how he's personally at Fort Lauderdale and he's fully invested in, in what the future of the church is going to look like. But what I can tell you is that we have a, an incredible pastor that as I've traveled and I have an opportunity to talk with other churches, and while we don't get into the comparison game, what I can absolutely tell you is it's a very unique thing to have a lead pastor a set of lead pastors with Pastor Soval and Pastor Kerry that not only want to invest in the next generation with the dialogue and talking about it, but they invest in it with their finances as well as the opportunities. And what I want to let you guys know that that is not a common thing to open up the platform to young people like me. You see how I'm working, working myself in? I'm still young. How you open up the platform to young people like me and other people that are coming up in, the, in, this, in this generation. So church as a family, can we put our hands together and just let, a, let our lead pastors know that we love them, that we appreciate them, and we're so, so grateful for them. If you, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to, to, to join me in, in Genesis chapter 15. That's where we're going to spend um, our time today. Um, I want to commend Reagan on doing such an incredible job with, with that three minutes of fire. Didn't Reagan do such a good job? I almost feel like there's nothing else that I need to say because she was talking about Abram. She was talking about the whole Sarah dynamic, and I'm actually going to be talking about that a little bit. So it was going to be one of two things that's going to happen. I don't have to preach. Or I was going to run up and do a Kanye thing, but hey, man, I'm going to let you finish in a minute, but let me finish my message first. Then you, can, then you can come up after me, but I felt that would be wrong, so I decided to function with honor because that's the way it's supposed to be done. But before I jump into the text, I want to let you guys in on, on, on a rumor that I'd heard. I heard this rumor, and I just need to know if it's accurate, but this is what I heard. I heard that if anybody comes to the Saturday night service, that this is the environment that sets the tone for everything that happens in Celebration Church at all locations. Did I, did I hear that right, that, that the Saturday night service is, is where it's at? It, is that right? 
OP as well, and those of you that are joining us online, all of the, I heard that the Saturday night dynamic literally sets the tone. It's like a tithe to God. Like it's, it's us setting the tone for what God's going to do this weekend. So you being here is an act of worship. You can check that off on your list. So your mere fact that you're here, I believe God's going to do some incredible things. So what that means is this, because you guys are setting the tone for what's going to happen this weekend, I need to feel your energy. I need to feel your energy. I need to feel your response. This is certainly not a monologue, but this is a dialogue where I say something, you say something back. I say something good, hopefully. Y'all say amen or you clap your hands. Let's, let's put that into practice real quick. Let's imagine that I said something like, I don't know, if you worship right now, God's going to give you a breakthrough. How would you respond to that? That's good. That's good. That's good. But let me try that again. If I said to you right now that God inhabits your praise, so when you praise, God is working on your behalf, how would you respond to that? Okay, 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 okay. Y'all stood up. God is definitely working on your behalf. Y'all got to jump on ship with this stuff. But I believe God's going to do something amazing. Genesis chapter 15, I'm going um, to make my attempt to look intellectual as I sit at this stool for a minute. This will last approximately five minutes, and then I won't sit down again. But Genesis chapter 15, we're going to look at um, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll skip through something. But this is what the Bible says. After these things, somebody say these things. I'll explain to you what these things are in a minute. But after these things, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. And it says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be granted. Abram said, God, master, what use are your gifts as long as I'm childless? And Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything. Abram continued, see, you've given me no children, and now a mere house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came and said, don't worry. He won't be your heir. A son from your body will be your heir. Then he took Abram outside and said, look at the sky. Count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. And he believed him. He believed God, and God declared him set right with God, or another translation may say, he believed God, and God accredited to him for righteousness. God continued, I'm the same God who brought you from Ur of the Chaldees and gave you this land to own. And Abram said, Master God, um, how do I know this, that this all is really going to be mine? And God said, bring me a heifer. Imagine asking God, like, Lord, how do I know I'm going to get my breakthrough? And he says, bring me a heifer. He said, bring me, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, and a dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these animals to him, split them down the middle, and laid the halves opposite of each other. Um, but he didn't split the birds. And the vultures swooped down on the carcasses, but Abram scared them off, or other translations may often say that Abram drove them away. Skipping down to verse 17, it says this. When the sun was down and it was dark, a smoking fiery pot, a flaming torch moved between the split carcasses. That's when God made a covenant with Abram. I'm giving you this land to your children from the Nile River of Egypt to the River Euphrates in Assyria, the country of the Canaanites, um, the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, Rapham, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, Jebusites, Mosquitoites, any ites that's in the building, I'm going to give you the, the dominion over it. What I believe that's so fascinating about this is that God had given Abram some promises. He had said, man, I, I got some incredible things for you, but the places that you're looking to occupy have some names attached to them. There's currently some people that are dwelling in the lands that I'm promising to you, and there's some names attached to it. And these weren't some random names that, that the Bible just mentions by happenstance, but these are all names that had history and context connected to it. There are names there that were associated with, with, with fear. There were names that were there that were associated with, with, with not having dominion. There were names that were associated with suffering. So when God said, I'm going to give you some promises, there was currently some barriers that were in the way of those promises when you look at the background of those names. But I'm so encouraged and inspired 
tired at knowing that in Philippians 2, it tells us that he's given us a name that's above every name. That means that you may have some names that seems to be in the path of your calling, that seems to be in the path of your promises, that may seem to be in the path of the things that God has for you. But the Bible tells me that God has given us a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So I don't know what is in your path right now. It may be depression. It may be something with your finances. It may be a relational issue. But I don't care what that name is because I got a name that trumps that name. And it's the name of Jesus. Do I got anybody in here that believes in the name of Jesus that's above every name. What I want to do is I want to talk to you guys for the next couple of minutes around the idea of what does it really look like when we have opposition, but more importantly, how do we respond to it? I've entitled this message, Wave Them Like You Just Don't Care. Wave Them Like You Just Don't Care. Turn to somebody and say, Wave Them Like You Just Don't Care. Turn to the person that you ignored and didn't want to talk to and say to them, Wave Them Like You Just Don't Care. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Holy Spirit, I I invite you into this moment, God. Father, I recognize that outside of you, Lord, that I can't do anything. So, Lord, I pray, God, that, that everything that I've developed and planned, Father, that it be saturated with your spirit. Father, I pray for every recipient, God, that's going to be receiving this word tonight, God. Father, I pray for open eyes that they can see you in areas where maybe they've grown blind and haven't recognized your presence, Lord. Father, I pray for open ears that they can hear your voice whispering, even if it's silent, God, but they can recognize and know that you're there with them. But Father, I pray for open hearts in areas where maybe we've grown bitter and calluses of pain, but Father, allowing them to know that you're there. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Undoubtedly, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that many of you guys are familiar with the term opposites attract. I don't think that's something that, that requires a whole lot of educational background. We've all heard the term, and maybe there's times in our lives where we even uttered those words ourselves. Maybe the circumstance may have been you've, you've looked at something that just doesn't make sense, and you're saying to yourself, on paper, that doesn't make sense, so clearly opposites attract. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a couple. When you're looking at this couple and you're like, you know what? I'm not here to cast any shade or judge, but something about that just doesn't seem as if it would make any sense. But clearly, opposites attract in this situation. And somehow, we find ourselves seeing situations where it seems opposites attract. Well, interestingly enough, that idea really originates from science. See, we're about to get a science lesson real quick. Watch this. It originates from science, and it's, it's through the whole idea of how magnets function. Because when you look at the way that magnets function, it has this process where it creates a magnetic field. Now, something that's made of the same material but has the opposite pull, it causes it to attract one another. Ergo, the statement, opposites attract. Now, what's interesting when you think about the way that opposites attract because it means that you're built of the same material, but you're actually going in different directions and somehow that magnetic field pulls things together. The reason why I say that is because I believe that there's, there's times in our lives where we feel that we're attracting the opposite of what we feel God has called us to do. You know, this is where we introduce the idea of Murphy's Law where that whole concept of whatever something bad can happen, it does happen. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've sat down with, with couples as we're preparing to go through their, through their marriage process, and I've sat down with the, with the, with the bride-to-be, I've sat down with the groom, and they sit down with their almanac, and they say, Pastor Keith, we want to get married on this day because I'm going to tell you this, I studied the almanac, and never in the history of the world has it ever rained on this day. This is the day we're going to get married. And guess what happens on that day? 
it rains. It seems as if the opposite is what they are attracting. Or I don't know if it's just me, but it seems as if every time I make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to get spiritually in shape. I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to turn down my plate. There's some things I'm going to turn away from. And the moment that I decide to fast, they have nothing but food here at the church. Everywhere I go, they're throwing stuff at me. Food I don't even typically eat. They got commercials and discounts, stuff I don't even like. Now I feel compelled to go and eat it. It's amazing how opposites have a tendency to attract, or, or this, those times in your life where maybe you possibly, I don't know, you wash your car, it's a beautiful Saturday, you're outside, you, you shine it up real nice, you got it looking fresh and so clean, and you feel like, man, I'm, 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 I'm going to kill them today. The moment that you go inside the house and come back outside, one or two things happen, either a bird poops on it, or it rains. It seems as if the opposites attract. And while some of that stuff seems really minor and small, um, so to speak, but there's times in our life where it seems, it seems that we're magnets of things that are much bigger. I don't know, maybe there's times in your life where maybe you've come to church and you've heard an incredible message, you've been inspired, and you're saying to yourself, I'm dealing with some conflict at work, I'm dealing with some tension, i got some things that's going on in my life, but I'm making the decision that I'm going to put God first in this area. I'm, putting, I'm making a decision that I'm going to be the bigger person, only for the person you have opposition with to act even smaller. I don't, I don't know what you do with it when you say to yourself that, God, I'm going to put you first in the marriage. And I, and I know that we've had a, a rough road behind us, but, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to serve the way that I'm supposed to serve, only for there to seem to be an elevation of even more conflict. I don't know. Maybe there's been times in your life where maybe you made a decision and said, I'm going to honestly serve and I'm going to give to God. This is the first time in my life that I'm going to tithe and I'm going to be faithful to it. But when you've tithe, it seems as if that's when you get the flat tire. That's when you get some opposition, and it seems as if there's moments in our lives where we attract the opposite of what we feel that God has called us or ordained us to do. I mention all this because that's exactly what I see in the life of Abram. You see, we're introduced to Abram in Genesis chapter 11, and at that time, there's not a whole lot of context that's given to Abram with the exception of the fact that he's raised pretty much in a paganistic family. So by Genesis 12, we find that God identifies Abram and says, man, I want to use you to do something so significant. It's beyond all that you can ask or think. I want you to simply step out to trust me and allow me to use your life to have significance that will echo on for years. In fact, your obedience will populate heaven. Man, that's, that's, that sounds like a weighty thing to be identified, pulled out, and say that God wants to use your life for something so significant that he can't even articulate it, but he says, but this is what I want to tell you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be the father of nations. You're going to do some incredible things. I just need you to trust me and get up and walk. And what does Abram do? He does it, and just his obedience in that, he literally becomes the father of faith as we know him, and now that's how we get the idea that when you believe God, that puts you in the right place with him. That's beautiful. Abram's the architect of that, but this is what I want you to, to recognize. The moment that Abram said yes to God, Everything that God said that he was going to do in his life, he immediately felt opposition in that direct area. Watch, watch this. When Abram hears the word that God says that I'm going to give you a land that's going, to be so, that's going to be so prosperous, it's going to be an incredible environment for you and your family, your kids, kids, and all that type of stuff, immediately when Abram steps out, he walks away from his place of comfort, and he doesn't even have a home. He's attracting the opposite. God said, I'm going to give you a sense of stability, but Abram is now wandering around trying to find a place where he can go where he's not going to face death or get killed. Or, or maybe it's the part where Abram says, where God speaks to Abram and says, man, I'm going I'm to do something amazing in your life, and you're going to have an incredible family, and you're going to have kids, and your, your name is going to be great. Meanwhile, he can't even get along with his nephew Lot, and they have to separate in order to keep the peace. God said that your family is going to be blessed, but it seems as if I have so much conflict that I can't even dwell with one of my family members. It seems as if I'm attracting the opposite. And let's just talk about it for a minute. But God said that he's going to have a child, but Abram's 75 at this point. Viagra wasn't working back then. So what is Abram's mechanism in order for him to reproduce? He thought he was going to have to, he he was going to, have to adopt 
Now, it seems as if God had given Abram some very strong promises, but he was attracting all of the opposite as he began his journey with God. So in the text where it says that after these things, Abram had encountered all of these things, but in addition to that, he had just overcame a battle where he had to rescue his nephew from a place of complete bondage. So now it's after these things, we find ourselves right smack dab in the middle of our narrative. And what the Bible says is that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. I want you to, I want you to recognize this. It's after he faced these oppositions. It's after he dealt with the one thing after another. After it seemed as if he attracted one thing after another. It's after these things, he still positioned himself in a place where he could hear the word of the Lord. If there's one sense of encouragement I want to give you guys, that many of you may be in the process of these things right now, but one thing I want to encourage you with is don't stop showing up. You keep showing up because it's in that moment God is going to speak a word to you that has the ability to be the catalyst for what your next season is going to look like. Abram, he didn't stop showing up. And so what the Bible says is God says, man, I just want to confirm that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you to do some incredible things. Abram understandably like, look, man, I, I got you, God. I heard you, man. It's all good, but, but I'm, I'm still struggling, God. Like, we talked about this a while ago, but there's some areas in my life where it's not matching up with what you said. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a season of your life where you felt as if your life doesn't match what God's word says about it. So Abram's like, I just need a little bit of clarity. I believe you. I trust you, but some things just aren't lining up. And so what God's response was, okay, let me, let me bring some clarity. What I need you to do is bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram a dove, and a young pigeon. Now, these seem like some, some random things, but I want you to understand that these items are not random at all. In fact, these are all items that are used very strategically when you begin to understand the sacrificial system. In fact, all of those items that I just mentioned were used typically in three categories specifically, for ordinations, for redemption, and atonement. So we're talking about those items were specifically used when someone was ordained into what they were called to do, for redemption when they were going to be put back in right place, or atonement when all sins were going to be wiped away. And so God says, I need you to bring these things into my environment. Secondly, God says, I need them to all be at least three years of age. Now, ordinarily, when you look at the sacrificial system, God always wanted something that was only one years old without spot or blemish. But God is saying, I need you to bring me something that is three years old. Why is that? Because once something is three years old, that means that it has optimal value in the eyes of God and even in the eyes of anyone who works in the agricultural system. In other words, what God was saying is, I need you to bring some maturity into this conversation. I don't need something that's still in the infant stages, but I need you to bring me something that represents maturity and optimal value. And what God was simply saying to Abram in this season, I'm going to need you to mature and grow up in some areas. I need you to bring maturity into this conversation and recognize that you are called, you are ordained, you are free, and you are healed. These are the ingredients that God instructed Abram to bring. But, but it, goes, it goes even further. Because what we find is that God uses some very interesting language. He says, bring me, don't go get bring me. And I've learned that there's a difference between bringing something and going to get something. See, as, as a father of, of three children, I've, I've, I've learned in my life that there is those moments where you celebrate all these milestones that your children have. You celebrate when, when they graduate. You celebrate their first steps. You celebrate their, their first tooth. You celebrate all these moments in their lives. But as for me, in my house, I celebrate when they graduate. Now, I'm not talking about when they graduate from college. My son's done that. I'm not talking about high school. My son and daughter's done that. I'm not talking about even when they graduate elementary school. I'm talking about when they graduate to a place where they can actually start contributing to the relationship. What that means for me is when you're a parent, it's pretty much a one-way relationship for a really long time. All it seems is if that your kids take and they receive and they get 
But that moment when they can actually start doing things for you, come on now. Those, those are moments that is worthy of celebrating. And so here's what I know. Here's what I know. For each of my three kids, they're at varying stages of what I need from them now. My oldest son, Keith Jr., he's a big, strapping young man. So when we moved into our new home, man, I need you to help me to move this furniture. You got the weight and the strength that can handle that. My youngest son, Caleb, I don't know what I can really ask for him. He's only 12, so I just want him to, like, tell me when he has a science project due the weekend before instead of the day before. That's all he could do to make me happy. Just let me know in advance, son, because I can't tell you how many times I found out on Sunday night after service, oh, dad, by the way, tomorrow night I got the, or tomorrow I got this, I got this science project that's, that's due. It's no big deal. I'm like, well, when did you get it? Oh, I got it three months ago. And you're telling me this and that. Like, son, you would help me a lot if you could just tell me in advance. But my daughter, she's 19. She's at a very pivotal place in her life because she's, she's now driving. And so she's my go-get-it girl. This is what that means. That means that when I go home, I give her the keys and I immediately give her instructions on things that I need her to go and get. I need you to go back to the store and go get me some chicken. Why did I say chicken? Because I'm black. I'll, feel, I'll feed the stereotype. Go back and get me some chicken. Um, um, I, there's times in my, in my life I'll, I'll ride past the store just to go send her to do some things just so that she understands what it's like to contribute. And, and understandably so. She's a, she's a feisty young lady. She's looking at me and saying, Dad, are you serious? Do you really want me to go back by, by the place you just rode by to go get you something? I'm like, you know what? I'm about as serious as those many nights where I had to get up and go get you some medicine because you couldn't do it for yourself. I'm about as serious as that time when you needed me to go get you something to eat and I did that. I'm also about as serious as that time when you let wanted me to leave work. I had to go home, pick up another shoe because you were wearing two of the opposite shoes, drive 45 minutes to your school to make sure that you didn't get made fun of. I'm about as serious as that. Do you have any more questions? You can clearly see that I'm working through some bitterness and some unforgiveness. Girl asking me if I'm serious. Yeah, I'm serious. So I remember this one time in particular, we, I said to her, I said, hey, dinner, I want you to go, I want you to go and um, bring me a soda. So I go on with my day, me and my wife continue to binge watch on Netflix, and as we're watching it, I look at my watch, and it's been about 28 minutes. Now, my house ain't that big, so I'm, now I'm starting to get to the place where I'm like, this girl is being disrespectful. I told her to bring me my soda 28 minutes ago, and I still am not being refreshed by my beverage. When she comes up here, I'm going to go off. So she comes upstairs, and I look at her, and she's all happy-go-lucky. She got it all iced up, got the proper ratio in there. I train up the child the right way it should be. You don't want to have too much in there. You don't want to spill it. So I told her to make sure she brings me the right amount. But when she brings it in, I sit up real father-like. I'm like, listen, girl. When I tell you to do something, you need to do it immediately. I ain't playing no games with you. When I, I wouldn't play no games. When I do everything I, you'd ask me to do, I need you to bring it to me immediately. And she's like, Dad, I had to go to the store and get it. You ever had those moments where you, like, spaz out on your kids and then they, like, say something to you? You're like, oh, man, my bad. <laughs> so what you do if you're in my household, I'm like, you know what? There's probably something you did that I didn't yell at you for, so just put it on that because I ain't saying sorry. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not going to lose my credibility. But what, but what occurred to me was that she, she had left the house to go and get the beverage, but what she didn't realize is that I had already went to the grocery store earlier, and so I had already bought the soda. It was in the pantry, but she didn't even bother to look, so she immediately left the house to go and get it as opposed to just looking where we were because she thought she had to go get it instead of bringing it to me. 
And what I truly believe that there's times in our lives as Christians, we believe that we have to go get our freedom. We have to go get our breakthrough. We have to go outside of the house in order for us to get the things that God has for us. But if we only understood what the sacrifice of Christ really meant, everything you need as it relates to life and godliness has been provided when Jesus said it is finished. We don't have to go somewhere to get our breakthrough. We don't have to go somewhere to get our miracle. We don't have to go somewhere to get our freedom. All the ingredients for your miracle are already in your inventory. All you need to do is reposition yourself and allow yourself to see the things that God already has established for you. What the enemy loves to do is he loves to reposition things in the pantry of purpose so that you can't see the freedom and everything that God has for you. So when you glance in there, you often see unforgiveness. You see bitterness. You see rejection. But if we can just elevate ourselves on the finished work of Jesus at the cross, we can begin to remove unforgiveness and put it at the foot of the cross. We can remove the bitterness and put it at the foot of the cross. And now I can see freedom. Now I can see healing. Now I can see my breakthrough. But it's just a matter of removing the things that the enemy has tried to place on our way to distract us from the things that God has given us. The ingredients for your miracle are already in your inventory, but sometimes we just have to reposition the things that the enemy tries to bring in to distract us. You see, Abram was told to bring these things because he already had these things. He didn't have to go out and try to find those items. They were already a part of his inventory. So now that Abram has brought these things into the environment that God has called him to bring it into, God then says, I need you to cut them down the middle. This is very brutal. Because when I begin to think about the fact that there was no euthanasia back then, that we have these animals lined up, and, and, and Peter would have been really upset because they would have just watched these animals get slaughtered, but Abram is cutting them down the middle. I can imagine the, the blood, the, the sound, the, the discomfort, the mess that it's creating, but, but this is what God has asked Abram to do. Game of Thrones got nothing on the Old Testament. It was, it was brutal as Abram was cutting through the sinews, and I can imagine that he saw some heart stuff. He, he saw some internal um, gut stuff. He's seen these things, and he begins to separate them, and he sees that there's a mess that's all in the midst of it. And, and, and while I believe that this is an image of, of us bringing our things to God, but also I believe there's this moment where God is asking us, first and foremost, I need you to anchor yourself in the identity that I've given you, but then secondly, what I need you to do is put your hands to work. There's those moments in our lives where God is asking us, I need you to cut some things out of your life in order for you to get the clarity that I have for your purpose. What is, what is it that God is instructing you to cut? I believe that there are three things specifically that, will, that we can perform spiritual surgery that will bring us, that will absolutely bring us healing and freedom. I believe the first thing is amputation. Matthew 5.30 simply tells us this way, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There are certain things in our life we don't got to pray about, we don't got to fast about, we don't got to wait for God to speak on. We know that God has already spoken and said, it's time for you just to cut that off. I believe the other thing that we need to do in order for us to surgically get freedom in our lives is limitation. We look at Hebrews 12, and the Bible tells us that we lay aside every sin and weight that easily besets us. This is what that means. Every, every sin is a weight, but every weight isn't a sin. Every sin is a weight, but every weight isn't a sin. This is what that means. What that means is, that there are things in your life that may not be a sin, but if we're not careful with it, it can absolutely cause us to lose focus. Perfect example of this would be social media. Social media, there's nothing wrong with it. However, if we find ourselves so saturated in social media and we're stalking our ex's Facebook page and their Instagram posts and it's keeping us from moving on because we're watching what everybody else is doing, that means that you probably need to limit your exposure to that so that you can actually begin to walk in healing and freedom. Sometimes we have to lay aside those things that's causing us to lose focus. But the last thing I believe that God wants us to do in the context of us really surgically getting freedom in our life, spiritually speaking, is I believe that there is the process of mortification. 
Paul tells us to mortify the members of our bodies or to put our bodies to death. Here's what that means. That typically is associated with internal heart issues. You know in the Bible where it says for us to guard our hearts because from it flows the issues of life? Well, one of the things that I've learned in my life that it's not like I can just snap my finger and all of a sudden I'm, I, I forgive everyone. But what I've learned is if I can just begin to limit the blood flow of the things that fuel unforgiveness, then I learned that that will eventually die off. So what mortification is, it simply means tying off the access of something so that it eventually withers off and dies and goes away. What are the things that God is asking you to cut off? What are the things that God is asking you to cut back on? But what are the things that he's asking you to cut out? Because I believe that a lot of times the bondage that we experience is associated with our inability to perform the surgery that he's asking us to do. What Abram does is he performs a surgery and he cuts these things in half. And what the Bible says is now that this has been cut in half, interestingly enough, the Bible says that birds of prey or vultures came down. Here's the thing about vultures that you need to understand. They're attracted to death. They love the aroma of death. In fact, they can sense it. And so I want you to see something here. The thing that Abram had laid out to give to God, the enemy swooped in on. Have you ever laid a portion of something out to God and it seems as if the very thing that you laid out seems to be attracting the enemy? It seems as if the enemy is now attracted to your marriage because you laid it out and said that we're going to live a God-first marriage. It seems as if the enemy is attracted to your, 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 um, your, your, your finances because you've decided you're going to lay out your finances and give it to God. Here's why. Because whenever we lay our lives down, Paul says that we die daily. It's the process of us dying to ourselves, but the enemy is attracted to the aroma of our sacrifice. But what the Bible says is that Abram wasn't content with that because it says that he drove them away or he scared them off. I want to let you know that the enemy may be attracted to your sacrifice, but your worship keeps the enemy from getting comfortable. It keeps the enemy from getting to a place where he's content and being able to pick away at the things that God has given you. You know what? I've learned as I travel quite a bit that there are certain things that just make me feel completely uncomfortable when I travel. And one of those things is crying babies on a plane. I love the babies. I love kids. But all of us know that moment when you're sitting on a plane and you're watching people load up and you see the mom with the crying baby like, oh, God, if you really love me, if you really have any calling on my life whatsoever, you will make sure that this baby is not crying this entire flight because I've learned that it's incredibly hard to get comfortable when you have something crying in your ear nonstop. I mean, we're already up 35,000 feet. We're already going to be on this flight for more than eight hours. Like, Lord, can you just cut a brother a break? Can I just make sure that this baby gets some Benadryl, some NyQuil, whatever you need to do to put this baby out so that I don't have to deal with the sound of it. But the truth of the matter is, I believe that our worship is the crying baby in the ears of the enemy. Whereas God has taken us from one destination to the next. If we can just let our worship out, if we could just lift our voices up, if we could just call out to God, I believe what it does is it keeps the enemy from getting comfortable in your household. It keeps the enemy from getting comfortable in your finances. It keeps the enemy from getting comfortable with your family. I've learned that worship is the vehicle that drives the enemy crazy. This is why the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they did something called a wave offering. And what the wave offering was, it was simply with them taking what God had given them, and they were waving it to God as a sign of a presentation, but it was a declaration of war for the enemy. I wonder what it would look like if we began to live our lives as if it was a wave offering, and we began to wave it just like we don't care. I wonder what it would look like if we took the breakthrough that God has given us, and we waved it like we just don't care. I know that the enemy is trying to get comfortable in the area of my finances, but I'm going to wave it like I just don't care. I wonder what it would look like when the enemy is trying to attack my marriage and I wave my life like I just don't care. Abraham wasn't polite about what he told the enemy to get out of his life. He wasn't generous when he wasn't. He didn't go and find a self-help book. But what Abram did, the Bible says he scared the enemy away. I wonder what it would look like if we radically began to worship and we began to invite the presence of God into the midst of our situation. Because the Bible tells me in Psalm 22 that God 
God inhabits the praises of his people. That means that the moment that I begin to praise, it's an invitation for God to get involved, and it ceases to be my problem, and now it means that God is going before me. When I begin to worship and praise, even when the enemy is getting comfortable in my situation, my worship is the thing that drives the enemy away because now God is moving on my behalf. I wonder how many things in our lives are we trying to move in our own strength, but we need to invite God into the midst of this situation. The enemy may be swooping in on the areas of your sacrifice, but your worship will drive him away. I wonder what it would look like if we really began to worship like we just don't care. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my mama say. I don't care what my neighbor says. I'm going to live a life where I'm going to worship like I just don't care. I'm going to give like I just don't care. I'm going to serve like I just don't care. I'm going to continue to seek God like I just don't care because I refuse to allow the enemy to get comfortable in the midst of my situation. God has given us a weapon, and that weapon is your worship. That weapon is your worship. I want you to, I want you to catch this visual. Abram had some questions, and after he answered those questions, he said, God, I just need to get some clarity. And God said, okay, here's how you're going to know that I'm with you. First and foremost, I need you to grow up in this season. I need you to get mature and anchor yourself in the identity that I've called you to walk in. The second thing I need you to do is put your hands to work. I need you to personally get involved and cut some things out of your life. The third thing I need you to do is worship and invite me into that situation. But after Abram does all of these things, the Bible tells us in verse 17 that it gets dark. When you look at other translations, it says it gets terrifyingly dark. It gets so dark that it's kind of like that outer darkness, that discomfort darkness. So I want you to understand that Abram was already dealing with some insecurities, but now it's his darkest moment. But interestingly enough, it says that now that it's in his darkest moments, Abram is in this place where there's these carcasses all around him where there's blood and mess and guts all around him. So it's dark and it's messy, but that's when God shows up. The Bible says that a flaming torch showed up, which is symbolic of the presence of God. And what that is a principle showing us is that when it's his darkest and when it's his messiest, that's when God shows up. You may be in a dark and messy season right now, but I assure you, that is not something that is repelling God, but it's actually compelling God to get involved in your situation as long as we respond with maturity, with our personal involvement, and with our worship. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I simply want to ask two questions. Maybe you're in here today and you will say, Keith, there's a couple of areas in my life that I want God to get involved in. I see that there's some areas of my life where I've decided that I wanted to sacrifice and, and give it to God, but I've noticed that the enemy has, seems to be swooping in and trying to pick away at my sacrifice, the, the sacrifice of me serving my clock and my, my timing at work is being manipulated, or, or maybe there's some other areas with your finances where you, you trusted God with your giving, but now it seems as if your finances are under attack. It could be a multitude of things, but what I can tell you is God is with you. But if you're in here tonight and you would say, Keith, yes, there's some areas of my life that I need God to get involved in. I want to pray for you. I just want you to signify it by raising a hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you guys. Hands up everywhere. You can go ahead and put those, those hands down. My, my second question is simply this. Maybe you're in here tonight and you would say, Keith, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you did in the past, but if you were honest with yourself, you would just simply know that you would qualify yourself as a person whose relationship with God is not where you would like it to be. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian or not a Christian. That means different things, but what we're saying is it simply means that you're away from God, but you know that today is a day of salvation. Much like Abram, it doesn't mean that you got it all figured out, but it simply means that you know that you need to say yes to God. I don't want you to leave here without responding to the truth of God's word that he loves you and that he's with you. 
If you're in here today and you want to respond to this message, you want to respond and say yes to Jesus, I just want you to signify by raising a hand. I just want to pray for you where you are. Amen, 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 amen. Put them up high. Those are, those are for God. It's not for me. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Church, can we put our hands together for those who have responded to God's compelling. In a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in worship. But what I want us to do, I want us all to stand on our feet as a as symbolic of standing on the word of God. And as they lead us in worship, I want this to be a moment where we worship like we just don't care. We're not concerned about whether we have the right octave or the right pitch, but this is that moment where we want to worship and give it to God. What I want to do, though, is I, I want to pray for you guys. For those of you that are saying yes to Jesus, I want all of us as a family to repeat this prayer with me. And then after that, I'm going to pray for you, we're going to worship, and, and God's going to do some amazing things in your life. But as a family, can you all repeat this after me? Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I say yes to you. Fill me with your spirit. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And because of that, I am saved. I will worship like I just don't care. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your people. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you bless every single person under the sound of my voice whether they're watching online at the Orange Park campus or in this environment right now. Father, I pray for healing and breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. For those who are dealing with opposition in every area of their life, God, I pray that your worship is an invitation for you to get involved and to move on their behalf. Father, I pray for freedom. I pray for miracles. I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for chains to be broken, God, that we realize that we don't have to go out and find freedom, Lord God, but it is available to us because it's already in our inventory. You've given us everything we need as it relates to life and godliness. Allow us to access it from the pantry of purpose and begin to put it into play. Father, I pray by the power of your word, God, in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every opposition and every struggle that we may be facing. I pray for deliverance. I pray for miracles. I pray for breakthroughs. I pray for healing. I pray for families. I pray for finances. I pray for resources. I pray for everything that the enemy is trying to take. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.